There are events in our collective history, the impact of which are so significant that we mark them with the question, where were you when? Where were you when JFK was assassinated? Where were you when MLK was shot? Where were you on September 11th? If we were alive then, we knew exactly where we were and who we were with and what we were doing. But the great pandemic of 2020 did not announce itself with gunshot or fiery flame. And while it has certainly disrupted our world every bit as much as other tragedies, its arrival has been more gradual. And so long years from now, we won't likely be asking, where were you when the great pandemic came? But we might, I think, ask a different question. How did it change you? I imagine many of us have gone through some kind of personal trauma in our lives or we're close to someone who has a, a serious injury or illness or some other suffering that turned everything we knew on its head. So we know that when something like that happens, time stands still. Life becomes consumed with the immediate doctor's appointments or endless trips to the rehab center or some steep new learning curve we must climb. Our old routines and habits go out the window and we are not yet willing to look to a future that we're not sure is going to come. But with time and resilience, we do find a way through the immediate intensity of trauma. New routines are learned, the world comes into focus again. It's not that things go back to normal. Too much has changed, too much has been lost for that. But a new kind of normal does emerge. Life goes on. And while no one would ever wish to go through the trauma of a car accident or a, or a fire or a serious diagnosis, many people who do find that the way forward includes a, a new way of thinking about their life they find that they now see the world through different eyes. Traumatic experiences invite us, maybe force us, to ask large questions, like what really matters to us and how, how do we want to spend the time we have? What brings us joy and what doesn't? This pandemic has plunged us into a communal trauma Old routines were disrupted. The, the future became utterly unpredictable. Most of March and April felt like life was standing still and dealing with what was right in front of us was often the very best that we could do. But I feel like things are shifting a little. The traffic in Denver is picking up. People are in restaurants again. School, whatever that's going to look like, is starting soon. We're figuring out how to get back to work and back with friends again. And we can debate whether all of this is happening too quickly or not, but clearly it's happening. We seem to be entering a new stage. The shock and intensity of March and April is morphing into an uneasy familiarity with a, a new normal. And so before we get too far from those strange early days, 
when everything was shut down and the kids were home all the time and we were frantically learning how to navigate this thing called Zoom, maybe we should pause and reflect on questions like, what are we learning? How have we been changed? And going forward, do we want to do anything differently? There's a a short poem that I want to share by the 13th century Persian poet and mystic named Rumi. It's called, Don't Go Back to Sleep. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. This is a poem, I think, about those moments in our life when we experience some kind of awakening brought on by a moment of beauty, maybe, or or innocence, an encounter with the holy, or a time of trauma. A time when we suddenly see more deeply into the truth of things, a, a time when we understand ourselves or the world around us in a new way. The challenge of such experiences, Rumi knows, is that they can vanish as quickly as they arrive. The door, round and open, tends to close before we have absorbed everything we should. So Rumi, in a kind of reverse lullaby, speaks with hushed, dreamlike language to implore us not to let the patterns and the pressures of the way things were sweep us up into their whirlwind, not to go back to sleep. Maybe you discovered in those early days of the pandemic some lovely little corner of your backyard you had never given much notice. Maybe being forced to eat at home so much helped you realize that you like it more than you thought. Maybe not being able to visit your friends showed you how much you missed some of them and didn't miss others. The lessons are going to be different for each of us. But it is not too soon to pause and ask what this extraordinary time has taught you. In our scripture today, we are near the end of the book of Deuteronomy. The Israelites have gone through their own time of trauma, leaving Egypt and everything they knew, and wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. Now Moses has brought them to the edge of the promised land. And so now he lays down commandment after commandment in the book of Deuteronomy, describing how they should conduct themselves in this new land. The commandments range from what to do when you see your neighbor's ox wandering away. Answer, go get it. To whether you should eat the grapes in your neighbor's vineyard? Answer, yes, you can, but you just can't take them home with you. Some of the commandments are strange and many of them even offensive to our modern ears. But the point is that having gone through this overwhelming time of trial and change, Moses lays out what they now need to do differently. 
And at the end of his long list, Moses says, I have put before you two paths. One leads to life and prosperity. The other leads to death and adversity. Choose life. Choose life. That's it, isn't it? The question under most of our questions, the, that's what most sermons are in the end about. How do we choose life? How do we live in a way that will bring more love, more peace, more beauty into this world? As hard as all of this has been and will continue to be, there's also an opportunity here. The door is open. This is the time for us to ask individually and collectively, how do we want to live? Individually, this might be the time to contemplate some big questions in your life, like, is this the job I really want? Or is this really where I want to live? And collectively, this could be a time to consider new ways of doing things. Maybe not every meeting has to be in person, we've learned, so people can be home with family more. And maybe given the enormous damage it does to the planet, we don't need to fly for business or pleasure quite so much. But it also might mean small changes, just spending more time in quiet or eating more simply, pausing to pray more. And the little things may not seem grand enough to be considered choosing life in the biblical mosaic sense, but you know, if the devil is in the details, maybe God is too. And little steps toward God are still steps toward God. The great machine is beginning to churn again. The world is waking up. And this is good. But it will be easy to dismiss the insights we've had as unimportant or unrealistic and just go back to old ways, ways that kept us busy but robbed us of meaning, and ways that made it easy to ignore the extent of the injustice around us. So before we get too far from it, from those early days of trauma, let's think about what the world might look like long years from now, when they ask not where were you, when the great pandemic came, but how did you change? Did the world become a little kinder, a little fairer, maybe a little slower? Did we become more present to the people that we love? Did we find ways to live more simply? Did we ask good questions about our relationship with technology? Did we begin to take better care of the planet and of ourselves and of the community around us? Did we find new creative ways to leave the world more beautiful than we found it? Did we choose life? Or did we just go back to sleep?